you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. David, football, football David. The Dave Damashek Football Program. Available on iTunes and at davedamashek.nfl.com. Now here's your host, Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, football fans. It's your old pal Dave, Dave Damashek. What's going down? I hope all's well wherever you are. Welcome to the Dave Damashek Football Program, available as always on Stitcher, iTunes, and NFL.com slash Shack. Well, I know we promised on our earlier podcast this week to tackle the very important issue of the worst QB committees in NFL history, and we will get to that. Appreciate all your tweets on that. I know the guys here in Studio 66 were ready to talk about that, but something in the uh, in the news has gotten in the way, namely one of our favorites here in Studio 66, LaDainian Tomlinson, got some good news earlier this week. They're going to retire his number down there in San Diego. The number 21 will hang, I was going to say in Jack Murphy for all of time, but maybe it'll be hanging somewhere in the Los Angeles area sooner rather than later. Either way, good news for him, and it's something for us to kibitz about, and I want to address it here and now and in Studio 66 to talk about his place in history. Two guys who know something about pro football history. First of all, all the way from London, England, the resident Miami Dolphins fan of this show, it's Handsome Hank. Hello, handsome. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Dave. When you started off like that and you said it was something big in the news, I immediately went to the fact that it's the biggest thing in the news today is that it's Dave Damashek's birthday. That's that's correct. Yes. That's That's where I thought we were headed. Yeah. Um, And I don't want to disrupt the show, but a little later on, we have a bit of a surprise for you. A former former Pittsburgh Steeler will be joining us in (laughs) studio. We have cake. 
Is it Ouija yeah. Thompson? That it could be. I don't. Or wanna, Bubby Brister. That would be a dream. It, it, it's Brister, and we've got a cake, and we have um, a routine. The Steelers have actually put together a cheerleading troop just, just especially for this. Wow, they, uh, all these years, all these they never years, wanted to do it. They but never they had the motivation, but now that for your 52nd birthday, they thought, this is the moment. To Those were he's always classy. Let's say hello to the guy who was about to speak here. I even I, you know, on behalf of the Dallas Cowboys organization, I got to tip my hat to Mr. Pittman. <laughs> it's uh, Elliot Harrison. What's the poop with you? Folks? Well, I was I know it's a happy 44th. I was trying to think. What's a 44 in Steelers history? I'm drawing a blank. Did no, Ben Tate wear a 44? It's one more. In fact, I feel like I 45? Yeah, I feel like no, Frankie Pollard wore 44. Um no, maybe he didn't. No, he 30. didn't wear 44. Yeah, Frankie Pollard. 44. They had uh, that safety, Scott. Uh, Bacula. Yeah, they must so. have had a fullback with 44. I know. I, I I feel like I'm embarrassed. I, like I can't think they, of who uh, it is. I should be able you to. You did have believe. a fullback with 45, didn't you? Who was that? Was it Fumafala? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Chris Muafala yeah. Maafala. Fuamato Maafala, yeah. yeah. He was 45, I think. He was 45. Good call that? on that one. Very nicely done there. Word. Um, yeah, you know, at this advanced age, Handsome, I feel like this is the point now. I've collected enough music in my life. Mm-hmm. Why continue to search? I'm old. I only have so much energy. It's best just to give up on everything. I think I'm going to give up on... Pers- I'm not gonna, if somebody gives me a great new... CD or whatever, and I don't think they make CDs anymore, <laughs> right? Whatever. However you get me your the, right. the, the hip new tune, I'm not going to say no, I'm not going to listen to it, but I am done chasing new music. And instead, I'm just going to lean on my current catalog. And now that I've collected all the assets, now it's time for me to spend the second half of my life ranking them all. That's the that's exactly the right way to go. But if Tom Sulatai gives you the latest Drake track, you're going to take it. Yeah, real quick. That was something Handsome and I were talking about, and it was egg on our collective face. What Drake, I'm in a, a station in my life where I know who Drake is, of course, but I don't know any of his songs, or at least I don't know that I know any of his songs. Uh, Tommy Tie behind the glass there, yes. filling in for Black Tie once again. What Can you sing me a Drake song so that I – do I know one and just don't know that I know it? Uh, no Lie is a good one. We'll sing it. I wouldn't. I that right, doesn't do right, anything. There, there, he has a lot of expletives in his. All right, lyrics. we'll try to work your way them around them. Yeah. Um, or hell yes, and something right, something right is a it's a good Drake song. I don't recognize. How would I know? Uh, you saying words isn't you, you singing? Sing a Drake I can't song. sing it like Commander. Drake. I don't. I don't. I, I I sing like a Civil War. I don't even know. Does he rap? Yes, he's a rapper. Oh, well, I can't. Rap. Well, how nice of you too to automatically download their music into your iTunes library. Right. Well, I well listen. I'm gonna see. Drake is not now eligible for Dave Damashek's catalog of music because he didn't get in under the cut uh, under the cut line. You know, I, that I just decided to impose a minute ago. All right, listen. We have important work to do. It's Ladanian Tomlinson, and for my birthday, indulge me, fellas. You know, there's nothing in life that gives me more pleasure than ranking things. So let's rank Ladanian Tomlinson in history. And if we're going to do that, let's open it up. Let's have one of the biggest conversations you can have when it comes to pro football. Who is the best running back in NFL history? Or let's rank them. The thing is, though, a couple caveats. One, I don't. I never saw Jim Brown play. I've seen highlights of him. Same for Gail Sayers, Marion Motley, Paul Horning, and the rest. I can't legitimately evaluate those guys. 
we're of a certain age where I think we are comfortable with the guys that played in the Super Bowl era. So let me very quickly blow through these, if you don't mind, and then we will review them collectively, debate them, so on and so forth. At number 25, start the clock. I'm getting through them as fast as I can. At number 25, Super Bowl era running backs, Matt Forte, 24, Zonka, 23, Fred Taylor, 22, James Brooks, 21, The Bus, 20, Edge James, 19, Ricky Waters, 18, John Riggins, 17, Jamal Charles, 16, William Andrews, 15, Hall of Famer Curtis Martin, 14, Beast Mode, 13, Thurman Thomas, 12, Marcus Allen, 11, Franco Harris, my doppelganger apparently, number 10, the all-time leading rusher, no better than 10, he barely sneaks in there, I'm surprised by that, and I made the list, at number 92, at number 9, LaDainian Tomlinson, 8, Adrian Peterson, 7, Marshall Falk, another co-worker of ours, 6, OJ, 5, Earl Campbell, 4, Tony Dorsett, or if you're fancy, Dorsett, 3, Barry Sanders, 2, Eric Dickerson, and at number 1, drum roll, please, sweetness, Walter Payton. I also had to break out Bo Jackson, Billy Sims, and Terrell Davis because of injury. They would certainly be much higher on this list but it's hard to quantify where they place uh, with the injuries. And then the USFL quintet, Herschel Walker, Marcus Dupree, Mike Rogier, Joe Cribbs, Calvin Bryant, all of whom really could have made the Hall of Fame, and I think probably would have, as a matter of fact, and some of them got pretty close as it is, if they hadn't spent time off in the USFL. So, all right, there's your list. That's my list, hard and fast. I'm going to make an exception for you and allow you guys to push back at me a little bit here. Elliot Harrison, I see you're chomping at the bit. What's your issue? Well, I, I, my, well, I'm going to give you my favorite because I want to start at the top. I love that you put Eric Dickerson number two. I, I just, to me, that is so smart. I mean, Eric Dickerson, somehow he's underrated. I, I don't know. I, how I, I it say is. that all the time, it, and you're exactly right. It's it's crazy. 3,900 yards rushing in his first two years. Think about that. 3,900 yards rushing. Then he has a down year, down year in quotes because he held out. Uh, early in the year, comes back and gets 1,800 more in 86. I mean, Eric Dickerson, I don't know that I've ever seen a better home run hitter than him in football. I agree with you on that front. I love watching Eric Dickerson, but you've even put here, and you didn't say it when you read it out, but you've put in parentheses with the Rams. And if we're judging all these other players over their career, and I think, you know, there are some guys who maybe slid down the list because of things that happened at the tail end of their career. Or, for example, you've got the Gale Sayers trio of, of TD Bo Jackson, Billy Sims, I don't know that you can necessarily, as great as he was through those four or five years in, in Los Angeles, I don't know that you can give him a pass for the stuff that happened at the back end of his career where when he was traded to Indy, he didn't really live up to expectations. And then he had this kind of, I don't know, falling apart. in. in well, I, I, you know, first of all, I say with Rams because specifically those are his best days. And I, and I, I, wanted, I want them showing video right. of Rams. That's I what that, that cue's for. He did, in fact, people don't, uh, people seem to forget this. Well, uh, clearly um, you did that Eric Dickerson had at least, what did he have? He had one very good year with, with the, the Colts. Colts. He, he had, had two. Two, two, really, two very good. Two years. really great years. And then he had one that was very good. And then the, the holdouts and the disenchantment with management kind of sidetracked his career well the thing with uh, Eric Dickerson that I always say the reason I think people sleep on him just a little bit is because he makes it look too easy he like Jerry Rice does for wide receivers Eric Dickerson does for running backs which is they both have that upright Mm. easy stride and it makes it look like it's too easy Jerry Rice and Eric Dickerson I contend 
never laid out. When have you ever seen a diving catch by Jerry Rice? When have you ever seen Eric Dickerson have to reach for the last uh, couple inches there? It just all came so easily to them that I think we that we tend to to not give them the credit that they're owed. But yeah, he was a, a home run hitter is a good way to describe Eric Dickerson. Handsome, how do you feel about number one? Did I get that right? Sweetness? I think, yeah, I don't think that can be argued with. What he could do across the board as a as a running back as a receiver he was he was next level he was he was the for, to me at least he's the gold standard as as a running back yeah i loved watching him go go up over mm-hmm. the top there it was always fun the other thing he was a trailblazer in his footwear he he uh he brought in ruse i don't know that you know michael jordan got air jordans and then now a lot of other guys wear air jordans kangaroos ruse only ruse. were that, that that the Roos were all. Did they reach England? They did. You know what? Um, I won't remember very clearly about the age of eight. <laughs> and um, these days, you'll see kids who will w- w- have a baseball cap and they'll leave the stickers on. You know, that's the thing now. It's very strange. Back, but I kind of, I was sort of a trailblazer on that front because I bought a pair of Roos, or I didn't because I didn't have any money. I was eight years old. But I, I persuaded my my parents to buy me a pair of Roos, and I left the Walter Payton tags on the. They were like tied on the laces as long as they would last there because I thought that would make me cool in some way. It's a funny thing, too, because the Ruse also, because they played on Soldier Field's artificial turf, they were made for specifically for football. And before that, and even through the 80s, guys would wear basketball high tops to play. Remember, that was a yeah. very strange era. What's interesting about Peyton, Dickerson, and Sanders, your top three as I have them, they were all on generally bad teams or I mean you know obviously Peyton gets the ring at the in the twilight of his career and yet they were all good enough to carry their offenses imagine that a a team that has bad quarterbacks I mean Walter Peyton almost never had a good quarterback until Jim McMahon Eric Dickerson got to the NFC title game with Dieter Brock Barry Sanders gets there with Eric gets to the playoffs with guys like Eric Kramer and I don't know if he ever carried Eric Kippel there but either way it's a funny thing that they have in common there yeah, I, I I think sometimes Barry Sanders is elevated a little bit. Not elevated, because I think he belongs at the top. Uh, but this feeling sorry for Barry Sanders, I don't I don't get behind. I think what the Bears, or what Walter Payton did with the Bears was much harder. Barry Sanders, people forget, they ran a run and shoot, which means they spread out four receivers. That was perfect for Barry Sanders, because now he could just, it's veer left, veer right, and he gets to pick where he wants to run. If you would have put him in an offense with, Matt Suey at fullback like the Bears had and no passing game and teams just stacked up to stop Barry, then I think he would have had a harder time. People say all the time, well, they, every team stacked up to stop Barry. No, they didn't. Because if the team runs out four wide receivers, by virtue, you have to have, right, four corners and at least one safety, if not two. A lot of times, Barry Spread Sanders, offense for, yeah. for those who aren't familiar. You know, a, a lot of that, the guy who gets some credit for innovating that is Mouse Davis, mm-hmm. who was a USFL guy yes. in uh, in Houston with Jim Kelly and everybody. And, yeah, they had good receivers in, in uh, Detroit, and they would spread it all out. And Barry would very often – there were a lot of times late in the second quarter he would be eight carries for two yards because yes. he liked to dance in the backfield. Obviously an all-time great, but I'm with you, E.H. I think that people I, – if I could have anything about a running – it would be a guy who always falls forward, who always makes three yards no matter what, and Barry Sanders certainly wasn't that. 
I agree. I think that, but if you ask me to sit down and watch the highlight reel for one of these hmm, 25 sure. guys on your list, I think Barry's probably the guy that you'd go, yeah, I, I definitely want to watch that one. And we yeah, live in the age, yeah, and we lived in the age of the highlight in the 90s, and so right. Barry Sanders became famous. But, and again, in the postseason, uh, against the best competition, he had some very bad games. And I, I think yeah, if yeah. you're an all time great running back, uh, you know, Terrell Davis averaged 143 yards a game in the postseason. Think about that. I think there was the, there was the they they played in an NFC Championship game against the Redskins. That's right. Blown out like forty two ten or something like that. And I think he had that at least somewhere in the fourth quarter he was still in minus yards running yes. during that game. And I'm not trying to disparage him. I just feel like sometimes everyone's you like, hate. oh, if Barry Sanders had had this or had that, I don't think he would have been any better. I don't think he would have been one iota better. Next, I have Tony Dorsett there, and let me explain myself, Cowboys fans. Gil Brandt, the architect of those great Cowboys teams in the 60s, 70s, 80s, I've asked him the question, who's the better Dallas Cowboys running back, the all-time leading rusher, Emmitt Smith or Tony? And he goes with TD every time I bring it up to him. Talk about a home run hitter. He was a little bit slight, but I've talked to guys, and Gil, I've said this to Gil Brandt, and he said I completely agree with that. If you would have given Tony Dorsett four more touches a game, he would have gone down as the all-time leading rusher. Then the pushback on that is, well, because he's slight, maybe he would have gotten banged up. But it certainly projects out that if you give his yards per carry and everything, he could have been higher up there. As it was, he still went down as one of the all-time greats starting with his rookie season. Yeah, silky smooth. You know, the only issue I have here really is – uh, number 10, Emmett Smith, uh, going staying in the top 10 here. Emmett Smith. <clears throat> Who should he be ahead of? I would put him, I would definitely put him behind OJ. Uh, it's, I, I probably would put him ahead of Earl Campbell, too, as much as I love Earl Campbell, and I, I grew up. Really? With, yes. Wow, that's, to me, that's, I know that I the numbers say, well, agree with you, but to me, just viscerally, to watch Earl Campbell, he was, I, he was as dominant, I mean, a, a power back as I've ever seen. I, I've talked to Earl several times, and I, I respect him so much. But part of being a great player is having, well, the same argument against Terrell Davis. You know, and Emmett Smith, when you talk about perception, the, the unfortunate perception, and I was there, I lived it, I saw every game. Yes, their offensive line was amazing his first five, six years in the league. But then it went downhill very, very fast. In fact, you and I sat here with Nate Newton uh, on your podcast and asked him why didn't the Cowboys – didn't go farther. Uh, was it because of Jimmy Johnson? He said, no, we were all getting old, you know. And Nate Newton, Mark A, they all went downhill or retired. Eric Williams got in a car accident. And Mark Stepnoski went and signed with Houston. Next thing you know, Emmett Smith's playing with a terrible offensive line in the late 90s for a good portion. And what He's, happened? And he still put up. You look it up. 1,200, 1,300, 1,300, 1,300, just boom, boom, boom. Maybe not 1,800 yards, but find me any running back in NFL history that's put up 1,800 yards 10 years in a row. Emmett, even in his uh, 11th year, I believe, ran for 1,200 yards. I respect Emmett Smith plenty, I think, but I guess this is uh, a bit of disrespect for the all-time leading rusher. I know legitimately he would be offended by anyone whose opinion he respects, at least. I don't think he would count me in that group, but either way... um, I know he would think himself uh, – but he had Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and that great offensive line. You talk about the Barry Sanders and, you know, could – But don't those guys all – Nobody could ever focus on Emmitt Smith. Yeah, but doesn't – then when you have a conversation about Troy Aikman, what's the first thing they say? Well, he had Emmitt and he had – well, somebody had to be good. Somebody had to be good. I know, but Walter Payton, Eric Dickerson, and Barry Sanders did not. And so you do have that line of delineation available to you. And, you know, in terms of just – 
again, visceral. I'm, I'm just, what, what, you know, who jumped out at you? And as opposed to quarterbacks or maybe even wide receiver, I think running back is, you know, you get poetic when you talk about those guys and their running style. And if you, if you, shot him in silhouette you know you could still identify certain guys by the way they run you would know Eric Dickerson um you know anywhere you know in in the flash even if you changed his uniform up because of the way he ran mm-hmm. Emmett Smith was a great banger I just I just don't rank him in the in in my top five or six obviously I didn't but I, I just he doesn't rank for me as one of the great runners I've ever seen but we value the idea that there's such a thing as a workhorse running back and nothing epitomizes that more than Emmett Smith that's, that's right. what he was for that team so when when teams when when NFL teams now say we're looking for that guy to be our workhorse running back what they're really talking about is I want an Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith to me also is a lot like Dan Marino or Drew Brees. Marino and Brees are so good at these little subtle movements. You know, this little subtle step up in the pocket, subtle step back, subtle step to the side. That's where Emmett was so great, and that's why Emmett doesn't have all the negative runs that Barry Sanders did. He'd see a guy coming at him, yeah. he'd make one little tiny move, the guy would not get his hands on him, and Emmett always fell forward. Always. He knew the value of a three-yard run. That's as important as going for negative one and then going for 80. I Yeah, you know, and I, and even though I cited that five minutes ago as why I maybe knocked down Barry Sanders too far, a lot of people think Barry's the best of all time. No way. But, uh, yeah, but Emmett, um, yeah, again, the stuff that was around him, I mean, obviously that's to his benefit, and uh, you know, I, but I don't think he goes down as the all-time leading rusher if he's not surrounded by all those other Hall of Famers there. And – Handsome, who does he go ahead of in your book that I, I have up there? That's the difficult thing. I think I'd be – I mean, I had, I personally didn't see enough of Earl Campbell. I've seen the highlights, and I appreciate the, what a what a dominant player he was as, as a – He had wheels, a, too. As like as my, when I say he's a bay, he, he was fast. Right. And so, I, I mean, I, I, I think it for me, he would go ahead of that just because he was able to do it for longer and to do it you know more consistently for over a period of years. But I would probably move Earl Campbell down. I think the the interesting place is where you have the guy that's you know initiated this whole conversation rank because you've got Ladanian Tomlinson at number nine, and what LT did during his career I think actually does go underrated. I think it it, it kind of you know that Chargers team he put them on his back several times during his career and they they didn't have that offensive line that that. Emmett had, for example, and yet he was able to do similar to Walter Payton. He was able to do so many different things. Right, but his uh, well, oh, Tomlinson, yes, I was going to say Marshall Falk. His career really took off when the Rams' offense took right. off, and again, Marshall Falk's out. And well, he had a great year in uh, Payton's rookie season in Indianapolis. He, he, he did, he did. But when his when he went from being a really good player to man, this guy is one of the all-time greats, was with that offense. And I'm not taking away from Falk. I'm just saying that when teams have to defend Torrey right. Holt and Isaac Bruce and they spread it out, yeah, you're going against seven in the box. Uh, you know, again, I lived it with Emmett in the fourth quarter. There would be up 20 to 10, the late third quarter, and they would literally say, we're going to run the football, stop us. This is what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, Peyton dealt with a lot of that too in the 70s when the Bears didn't have anything throwing the ball. It's like, we're going to run it to Peyton. Stop us. It's just a totally different ballgame. Let's talk about our high-profile co-workers, head-to-head, handsome. Uh-oh. LaDainian Tomlinson or uh, or Marshall Falk. Choose one. Their careers, or if I was putting I don't know. Career, who's, who should be ranked higher here? I'd take LT over Marshall Falk. Is that right? I'm going to tell him you said that. That's Both fine. of them. That's Well, that's fine with me. <laughs> EH, I'll say you. Oh, 
gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so hard. I'd probably take Marshall Falk uh, because even as a rookie, he was super special uh, with with the Colts. But that is that is so close. It'd be interesting to ask these guys what they think. Adrian Peterson asking him what he thinks. I mean, it's it's – don't get me wrong. It's tight. Obviously, the one guy is we... Peterson right though at eight. Does he is he I... worthy of the top ten? Does he go ahead of Franco Harris, Marcus Allen, and uh, and those kind of guys? See, I wouldn't put him ahead yet of our two colleagues. I think we need to see what the next chapter of Adrian Peterson's career looks like to, for for him to get into into that type of elevated position. Right. There's got to be some nod, I, and I I know you and I are pretty much feel the same way about this. There's got to be some nod to longevity. I don't think longevity defines a guy's career at all. You and I both believe in the eyeball test, but there's got to be some piece of the pie that goes to, hey, you did it for 10 years. You know, Fred Taylor is a great example of that. Yep, and uh, yeah, he's he's a good name for the back end of this list. I think the thing about LT, just going back to him, is he was the best running back in the league for what? I think like six, seven years. He had a very prolonged run. It was sort of Sean Alexander had this... For a, for a sh- very short space of time, and then LT really took the mantle and had it for for a really long time. That's a that's a great um, point. The only guy that gets left out of that conversation, and you could I guess you could put it on your uh, I love your Gale Sayer trio of the injuries cutting short career Priest Holmes guys. I mean, yep, yeah, holy yeah. cow, Priest Holmes is as good as anybody mm-hmm. that I've ever seen as far as a complete player. Yep. And if you play fantasy, Priest Holmes is like <laughs> the god. All right, so Handsome's got to go. He's out. E.H. and I will continue to cover this list here. We have our top 10 now of the greatest running backs of the Super Bowl era. Let's pick it up 11 to 25 and some other names that are at least worthy of consideration here um, in the Super Bowl era. E.H. at number 11, I have Franco Harris. He with the four rings. He retired as the second leading rusher in NFL history. You want to talk about underrated guys, though? Hall of Fame. I know it's I know it's an oxymoron, an underrated Hall of Famer, but still, there are a few guys. Eric Dickerson fits that description in my book, and Franco certainly does as well. I mean, he was the feature back, the workhorse for arguably the greatest uh, dynasty the NFL's ever seen. Yeah, I agree, and I agree with your assessment. I do think a Hall of Famer can be underrated. You've mentioned that about Dickerson, about Dorsett, and or Dorsett. Sorry about that to a Pittsburgh. Dorsett grandfathered me in. See, when he yeah. moved down to your fancy Dallas, and he put the star on his hat and the silver pants, then he became fancified. You see, and he became Dorsett. But I asked him. I said, well, "I'm from Steeltown. You know, can I? Can you do something for me?" He said, "Yeah, you're grandfathered in. Dorsett works for you, that's so that's great. pretty good." Franco Harris. Uh, you know, again, workhorse back. Did it for a really long time. The only argument you could possibly have here, I think. I do think that uh, Marcus Allen you could make a case for, given what Al Davis did for his career. And I think you would agree Marcus Allen is a little bit more of a complete player than Franco Harris uh, as far as I being w- able to do everything. Probably. Uh, but but it is what it is. Marcus Allen wasn't productive in those years, and, and Franco Harris was. The other guy on your list that I think is very similar to Franco Harris because he was a big back is John Riggins. So I'd like to see those guys closer on the list. But having Franco Harris at 11, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Um, who would you want at the goal line in NFL history that you've seen more than Marcus Allen? No I think the candidates would be. Who would be the candidates for that? Walter Payton. Yep. Um, uh, so, yeah, Marcus Allen. Uh, and LT, LaDainian Tomlinson. You got to look at Campbell. He was a great touchdown. You got to look yeah. Emmett, uh, definitely. Again, subtle little movements. Uh, 
you know, one guy that's not on your list, and I know the book isn't closed on his career, but who's really good at getting yardage, extra little yardage when you don't think it's there, he just sees a crease, is Arian Foster. He just has a way of kind of slither. Do you ever see Arian Foster get blown up, like really hit? It's it's amazing, for especially for a guy his size, and I'm glad you bring his name up because I did consider him, you know, after the 25. I didn't think he snuck in there, although I did. At number 25, I have Matt Forte. I think that's the right choice. But I think Foster is pretty close, and if you look it up, the Texans have an unusually high winning percentage when Foster's on the field versus when he sits down. Injuries have been his bugaboo. But if you, if you ask somebody, list for me the five best running backs in today's NFL – Foster's name will not be invoked very often, and it really – talk to. about underrated in the moment, Arian Foster. So, all right, Franco, Marcus Allen, here's a guy in history. You know, Jim Kelly, the great Bills teams, they never get over the hump and win at all. Somehow Thurman Thomas feels slept upon too. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I always talk to Patrick uh, Crawley, Hank's uh, cohort there running the website. Patrick's huge Buffalo Bills fan. Love the Bills 94 uh, unis. That's a throwback game, right? Yeah, very smart. Denver. The red hats like that, yeah. that looks all right. It looks awesome. He remembered to wear his helmet for this game. <laughs> That's right. You know, he had to wait a year before he got into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, to me, if you were to rank the Bills from that era, I'd go Bruce Smith 1, Thomas 2, Kelly 3, Reed four, and then maybe someone like Ken Hull. Think about how loaded that team was. Oh, man. Yeah, well, you. Yeah. Uh, in fact, James Lofton's on that team. Yep. It's still very productive. Yep, Cornelius Bennett. Yeah, that's the players. A, well, but I guess that's how you get the four Super Bowls. I think Thurman Thomas led the NFL in yards from scrimmage four years in a row. That's pretty impressive, but because it didn't show up, you know, back in the late 80s and early 90s, everyone was concerned with the rushing numbers. That's it. So running backs like William Andrews, who you have on this list, who caught a lot of balls, fans didn't think about that because in fantasy it wasn't a big deal. Now in fantasy, so many people play and they get all these points for for catching the football that Thurman Thomas, had he played in this era, I think his career would be looked Maybe at a lot would. differently. You know, it's funny because I think the other side of that is if uh, if you, the viewer or listener, chimes in here and says where I went wrong here – I bet you one of the biggest names that will will be thrown at me is Roger Craig mm-hmm. because you know he you know thousand yards on the ground and uh, and uh, catching passes, but that, consider the era that Roger Craig was playing in. Well, he's a poor man's Thurman Thomas. He gets knocked That's down right. by that. There were other guys who could do that, and he just didn't do it probably as well, or at least as far as I'm concerned. At fourteen, beast mode. Am I going – I'm not a prisoner of the moment here, am I? No, I actually really like this pick. Uh, you know, at some point, you have to project a little bit when you're watching these guys. I mean, you do it with Aaron Rodgers, right? You tell me all the time Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback ever. Well, if you could project – No, him, I say he has to win a couple – he has to win at least one more Super Bowl before anybody's going to listen to that argument. But you yeah. told me that you personally think he is, even if he doesn't. No, I, well, I think he has to get one All more right. for people to, right. to, to, for that to be a legitimate conversation. A little All mitigated right. answer there, but Marshawn That's Lynch right. is doing the same thing. I think you're projecting a little bit that if he has another year like the last four years he's had, he's a dominant player on a dominant team. Russell Wilson is not the best player on the Seahawks. Marshawn Lynch is. I think Marshawn Lynch is – maybe Richard Sherman could give him a run for his money. I love this, and, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen a running back, and maybe the only guy on this entire list that's like him, is Earl Campbell. What running back 
energizes his defense the way Marshawn Lynch does. They're all watching on the sideline when he runs, and they get fired up when he bowls I, over somebody. You know, they go out and play defense and crush people. I, that's interesting you bring that up. There, there's John Riggins wasn't shy, wouldn't shy from contact. Um, but there's a, something different. Um, Walter Payton would do this. Um, Larry Zonka would do this. They would seek contact. Yes. I mean, there's, there's a difference between a guy who isn't shy about getting into it and, and a guy who actually seeks it out. And Marshawn Lynch has an intimidation factor for defenses that in the fourth quarter that he's trying to collide with you yep. has to break the will. And, well, in fact, it does break the will of most teams they play, huh? Yeah, I, I agree, and I think he's definitely has the potential to be in the top 10. But if you go over your 11 through 20, so it's Franco Harris, Marcus Allen, Thurman Thomas, Marshawn Lynch, Curtis Martin, William Andrews, Jamal Charles, another projection a little bit, I think, John Riggins, Ricky Waters, and Edge James. Of those 10 right there, eyeball test, nothing else, just eyeball test. The guys you watch, which one of those guys maybe is worthy of top 10? Um, I, Marcus Allen, I think you're probably on the right track there. William Andrews is a guy who I imagine very few youngsters are aware of, but man, in, in the eighties, this guy was devastating. He was a monster. He could catch the ball. He just had a a ruinous knee injury at a time when they couldn't correct it. Why isn't he in the Gale Sayers trio of uh, Terrell Davis, Billy Sims, and Bo Jackson? He played seven years in the league, and so I made the cut point six years or mm-hmm. fewer than your kind of what, what might have been. William Andrews just is above that bar, but I, I again, I know very few people are familiar with what he looked like uh, if, if you didn't see him playing, but I, you know, as a child, I remember watching him on Monday Night Football and him destroying, uh, you know, whoever got in his way. Yeah, and when, so the he, you know, he played from '79 to '82, and then uh, I believe Dan Henning became the Falcons' head coach in '83. They went to the one-back offense, very similar to what the Redskins were doing with John Riggins, and he ran for over 1,500 yards, and he added like another 600 yards, very sim- uh, similar to the kind of year Le'Veon Bell had last year, and he mm. literally, if Eric Dickerson hadn't you know, ran for 1,800 yards as a rookie. I think everyone would have been talking about William Andrews. It was in the next year that he tore his knee up. And the only reason why he played that many years is after missing two seasons, he wanted to come back. He didn't want to retire, like, basically on a golf cart. So he came back, and, and didn't somebody else do that? Did Charles Barkley do that? Somebody did that, well-known, had an injury. and Priest Holmes did that. They got Yeah, they came back just so that they could play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came back for just kind of a cameo in 1986. But I, I love that pick of William Andrews. Well, Curtis Martin was productive for a couple of teams. Does he conjure the, the, the same imagery as most of these other guys? Probably not. But he was just plumb effective for a long time. And at some point, like you say, you have to honor the numbers. Then I go, Jamal Charles, do you think that's too soon? Ta- again, I get, uh, uh, it's funny as we go through these that underrated is the word that we keep applying more than any other. But Jamal Charles has been uh, – it's the opposite of prisoner of the moment. Why is, are we not acknowledging the greatness of Jamal Charles? I know that people float his name, and certainly in the fantasy age, 
people are aware of, uh, you know, his home run hitting. And, of course, if you're making a list of the greatest home run hitting running backs, I think Jamal Charles in mean, his first couple of years. Remember when they would do, when they would uh, do the double whammy out there with uh, with Thomas Jones and. Um, oh, yeah. And and, uh, and Jamal Charles and people would say, why is Jamal not getting more touches? Because every time he would get it, it would seem he would rip off right. an 85 yard touchdown run. But, man, he catches the ball. This is on a team. An effective Chiefs team since Andy Reid's arrived, a team that is a playoff contender and will continue to be in 2015 without any viable pass catchers outside of Jamal Charles. It's amazing stuff that he's done. Well, I think a a couple of reasons or a couple possible explanations are, one, you had Priest Holmes and then Larry Johnson had those huge years. And so Jamal Charles was just kind of another in a running back, Hmm. you know, another one of those guys. Yeah, right. You mentioned the Thomas Jones committee. The other thing is he had that really bad knee injury against the Lions where he missed the whole year. Well, right after that, Adrian Peterson. I know we sing. That's exactly. That's what happened. So unfair. Adrian Peterson has his knee injury. We sing songs about the, about the Iron Man coming back from the knee injury. Meantime, Jamal Charles slips on the first down, the plastic thing on yep. the ground underneath the stick, and he rips his knee. He comes back and goes for 1,500 yards. People barely bat an eye at this. Jamal Charles deserves uh, deserves this place, I, I feel. Do you agree? Is there somebody out there that should be ahead of him? Well, the one thing I'd say, and I'd like to ask Tom Sulatai if he's done yapping for a minute. You there, bud? You know, he's not even look at Look at that. Falling down on the job. What are you talking about falling down on the job? Yeah. Pull up pro football reference and pull up John Riggins. Postseason 1982 numbers, if you can. Just go to his 1982. That's an interesting thing because quarterbacks we always talk about, and I think rightly so, that there's the clutch thing if if they do it in the postseason. But if you talk about guys who delivered when it mattered in in January, I don't know that a running back really raises his game, but there are a couple of guys who do make a case for the ability to do that, namely the diesel John Riggins, Marshawn Lynch, I think you got to put Franco Harris and Emmett Smith into that conversation as well. That they, they just weren't um, successful because of circumstance in these big games. They would rise for these big ones. Absolutely, and and I know a lot of people point to Joe Flacco's 2012 postseason run. If you pull up John Riggins' postseason numbers from 1980, did you, you find it? Yeah, I got it. Yeah. How many carries did he have in those four games? What, 34 against the Lions? 36? He had 136 <laughs> rushing attempts. In four games. Yeesh. 610 yards, uh, that's uh, 4.5 per attempt. Had a long of 43. Uh, He also had a few catches. Um, How many touchdowns? Let's see, touchdowns. He had four. Four, okay, so the carries by game were like what, 34, 36, 38? Yeah. Think about that. Now, he averaged four and a half yards per carry. With everybody in the freaking stadium knowing who's getting the football. 152 yards per game. Yeah. That's, That's... yeah, and that's 152 different yards than Barry Sanders' yards. That's that's what I'm saying. That's running people over that's yards. That's running people over yards. Mm-hmm. Remember when Larry Fitzgerald had that postseason and people were just – Larry Fitzgerald is still living off that postseason. Hmm. I mean, look at Larry Fitzgerald's last three years in the league. Hasn't even, what, cracked 1,000 yards. John Riggins, for some reason, doesn't – you know, if, if we're talking about dominant – Money players. This is a dominant money player right here. Yeah, it's funny, too, because Marshawn Lynch gets this weird attention for how he comports himself in interviews. That was the thing of Riggins, <laughs> yes. too. He was a weirdo. He had, he had, had well, a – Well, he hung out with the, the offensive linemen. You know, yeah, he had, he, he had a mohawk. I mean, when mohawks weren't in vogue, he went to the – to the World Football League and came back. It was all weird. That we, it, it was a weird bird, 
But, uh, yeah. What a great career, too. The cool thing about him, he, he went to uh, Kansas when they were in the Big 8, and he was a Big 8 sprint champion. Nobody thought about John Riggins as a sprinter, but John Riggins could take off. And you talk about running styles. He definitely doesn't have the prettiest one, but he yeah. <laughs> had that huffing and puffing kind of running style Love it. that was unmistakable. Um, yeah, maybe Riggins belongs a little bit higher here. Should I have put him ahead of William Andrews and Curtis Martin and Jamal Charles? I probably would have, but I don't, I don't know that I would have put him over Franco Marcus Thurman. And I think Marshawn and John Riggins are almost the, the same player. Mm-hmm. So that one's, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Uh, but, you know, how, how weird is it to think, too, of a rookie John Riggins, as weird as he is and the weird hairdos and the career that he's end up, you know, he's going to have, and having Joe Namath as his quarterback. Mm-hmm. Just a weird pairing to yeah. think about. Yeah, it sort of has a foot in uh, separate generations. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, at number 19, I have Ricky Waters. He gets a ring with the mighty 94-49ers, and prior to that had some terrific years with the Philadelphia Eagles. This is another guy. What gives with this guy? Why is he not more respected? Well, right. So after the, the 94 Niners, he, you know, they won the Super Bowl. They don't re-sign him. He goes to Philadelphia. In his first game, they play Tampa at Veterans Stadium. Ball over the middle. He alligator arms. You think arms the alligator arm thing is yes. what defines his career more than anything? I'm, I'm yes. not, I, I don't think you're wrong about yeah, it. Yeah, and then he says, when they asked him, why did you, you know, why did you look like you kind of short-armed that ball? He's like, for who? For what? You know, like, what, why do, why am I going to put myself out there? And uh, not only that, after Philadelphia, you look at his years in Seattle, 98-99-2000, really productive back. He got hurt early in 2001. He was still their starter. Sean Alexander came in, and he got Wally pipped. But his career numbers are phenomenal. And another guy It's odd he's not. Catches. I mean, yeah, but based odd, odd on – But if you just eyeball the numbers, forget what uh, what your gut tells you. Look at the numbers. It's weird that he's not in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I agree with you. I think there's guys on this list. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at it. I think Marcus Allen – Thurman Thomas, William Andrews, and Ricky Waters for sure, and James Brooks, who I know we'll get to is number 22. Those guys, if they had played now or since whenever you think fantasy really exploded, mm-hmm. like maybe 2004, with all these PPR leagues where guys are getting famous because they're earning so many points, these running backs that were more of the 1,200 yards rushing and catch 60 or 70 balls would be considered the same kind of superstar as the Adrian Peterson. Yeah, as, putting, as I was putting this together, I tried to eliminate, obviously, their star power and right, what, what, right. the, um, you know, what it evokes when their name comes up to the general public and just tried to look at uh, um, who was the most effective in the NFL. And that brings me to at number 20, Edge James, forget this hokum. Don't believe what anybody tells you that he got lucky to be on Peyton Manning oh. and Marvin Harrison's team. This Talk about a workhorse, dynamic runner. He was um, – he had some Barry Sanders to him, you know. He had that wiggle a little bit to him. He was much more about um, about wiggle than he was straight ahead speed. But he could catch the ball. He was a he was a good blocking back. Yeah, he he did it all. You know, I just could have won a Super Bowl too in Arizona. Uh, just about did. People you, you forget bet. that he was the uh, the feature back there. That's in the right. Year that Kurt Warner went to the Super Bowl. That's right. And I just looked up. You know, there's all this hubbub about Demarco Murray having all these touches last year, and what's he going to do? I looked at Edge James' first two years in the league. Man, he had like 400 and something touches, just something ridiculous. I think when you talk about underrated, if you just want to talk about start to a career, you could put Edge James' first two years in the league 
up against just about anybody in NFL history except for Eric Dickerson. That's, huh, that's funny, was. too, because, right, like you say about Jamal Charles, it, it maybe he gets knocked down a peg because he comes into a successful system. He follows Marshall Falk and takes over. The, well, obviously. Well, I got a problem with your list, Shaq, speaking of people getting knocked down a peg. Um, where's Jim Brown? I, <laughs> you, you read uh, Super Bowl era, right? Oh, Super Bowl era. Gotcha. <laughs> I forgot about that. Answer that question for you. Yes, did. Right, good. But okay. you know what? May can I you, proceed? Can I, you, I, I didn't. I didn't see the top of the. I didn't. I didn't read the top of the list. I was just saying. <laughs> can you redeem Brown. yourself real quick? Yes. Can you look up Edge James' first two years in the NFL? Yeah. Rushing attempts and receptions. It's it's astronomical. Let's press on while you look those up. The bus. I don't understand those who suggest Jerome Bettis doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. He. I, longevity matters. It is not at the top of my list of um, qualities you want in a Hall of Famer, but he's a power back. We talk about Earl Campbell petered out quickly. Most guys who get the ball a ton, Riggins was uh, Riggins was awfully durable for a big guy, but the bus is is second to none in that regard. A guy who got smacked every time he touched the ball and had you know that was fairly nimble for a guy of his size. Wins that Super Bowl. All the stuff about him going to Detroit is actually more annoying than anything else as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, for the bulk of his career in L.A. early and then moving on as the feature back for Pittsburgh for a long stretch there and amassing. He's the fifth leading rusher What's the of all time. What's what's the argument against the bus? Is, is yards per carry? He wasn't a home run hitter. Yeah, I think he, you know, to me, his career parallels John Riggins a lot. Really weird start to their career. Riggins playing with the Joe Namath Jets, Bettis being a Los Angeles Ram, you know, when the team is doomed to to move, maybe move back. Then this great uh, prime. Then this kind of mid-career lull like Riggins had. And then coming back towards the end of his career and being like, wow, this guy is still really effective. You know, the year before they won the Super Bowl, uh, 2004, when they lost uh, Roethlisberger's rookie year, they lost to the Patriots. Man, he was great that year. I, I can't remember he got what hurt. happened. But he got hurt in the last couple of weeks. and But he ran for like 900 yards, yeah. and, and he delivered. I think there was one game against the Bears, I want to say, at Heinz Field where he ran right through Erlocker. And, that's uh, the fo- that's odd five. That's the, oh, that was the pivot five. point okay. of their year. They're a floundering oh, okay. bunch. They're not going to make the playoffs. That game, the snow falls in Heinz Field. And they needed the bus it. rolls over Erlacher at the goal line. The Steelers never look back the rest of the way. But 04 was the year, I think, that he had a nice big year at the end of his uh, uh, career. He did, and, but he got hurt, and, uh, yep. and uh, so they lost in the playoffs there. 22, a guy who I am certain anyone under the age of 25 or very few will know, James Brooks, correct uh, back there, uh, Tommy Ty? You don't know who James Brooks is? Actually, no, I have to admit. You're thinking the guy who created Taxi in The Simpsons? Pretty much. The, the writer, James L. Brooks? No, no. This was uh, this was number 21 for the – he started out as the Bengals, and he was there for, I think, uh, seven, eight years. Then he goes to the high-powered San Diego Chargers with Eric Coriel. This guy, I looked his numbers up. Talk about a pass catcher. First of all, he goes for like eight or 9,000 yards on the ground. Smallish fella, but he was a dart out there. But then he catches, I think, 50 balls in each of his first couple of years, and he never catches fewer than, I think, 25 or something in the first eight years of his career, in an age when, you know, it wasn't conventional to feed the ball in the air to, to your running back. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I love this video. This this is not a, a alternate Bengals jersey. This is like his 1989 Pro Bowl. 
jersey. Nice red <laughs> pants there, American flagish. But uh, you know, he was kind of a a, a Darren Sproles type early in his. That's career. a good description of him, right? And, and, or even Gio Bernard to to bring it to a Bengals. You know, but the thing is, is that he was able to prove when he went from San Diego to Cincinnati with Sam Weish that he could play in that offense and be a lead back. So it'd be like if Darren Sproles, instead of when he went to San Diego to, to New Orleans, instead of being a third down back, if New Orleans had said, you know what, we think Darren Sproles can be a 1,200-yard back. That's what James Brooks was. I love this selection. I, th- I think he's a great player. Yeah, and every he split time in San Diego with the great Chuck Muncie, who really has a uh, – uh, could uh, you could make a case – for being on this list. So it's not as though he was out there three down. And in 88 with Icky Woods. Yep. Very effective uh, in both stops there. 23. This is a guy who it's a slow burn. When you consider what he was, I mean, the mark on Fred, the, the knock on Fred Taylor was, I mean, seven years into his career was, man, if this guy would only just stay healthy, how good he could be. And then all of a sudden he does become sort of durable and the Jags take off, and they start becoming, as even uh, uh, Pittsburgh Steeler Ike Taylor calls them, the, the Steelers of the South, because of how rugged this guy was, Fred Taylor. One of the, Really, though, as I mean, if, if he's in the top 25 of the Super Bowl era, if we buy my list, that's a good place. Could have been even higher up on there oh, if he would have yeah. stayed healthy a little bit. And Fred Taylor ran for, I believe, 12,000 yards. Yeah, I know. And that's missing. To me, he's the Paul Molitor. Of the NFL, you know, Paul Molitor could have legitimately challenged 4,000 hits in in Pete Rose, Ty, Ty Cobb, if he had missed like 500 games. Until you career. said hits and Ty Cobb, the the guys behind the glass had no idea who Paul Molitor was either. <laughs> yeah, they right. But that's what Fred Taylor is to me. I mean, if you put back those games that he missed, I wonder what he could have done. Maybe he doesn't catch Emmitt Smith, but he certainly would be up there in the top five. And the game that I always remember, you mentioned Ike Taylor, is that 2007 wild card at Heinz Field. It was MJD and Fred Taylor, and they just ran right down Pittsburgh. I mean, they did – and Pittsburgh had some really good defensive players. They couldn't stop Jags' running game. Yep, yep, Mike Tomlin's rookie year. Um, At 24, we go Larry Zonka, the main man for those Miami Dolphins. You like your power backs. No. Well, I mean, you know, I, the the numbers are there. He does uh, go to the World Football League. You know, here's a good bit of trivia. A lot of people don't know. I know you know this, but a lot of people don't know that he's the guy who Joe Pasarczyk tries to hand the ball off to in the miracle at the Meadowlands yes. when Herm Edwards right. scoops it up and runs it in. That's Talk about uh, a foot in different generations. People don't realize that Zonka finishes his career there as a New York Giant, but in the meantime, his heyday was with these mighty Miami Dolphins in the early 70s. And again, as you say, one of the great power runners ever. Yeah, you know, with Zonka, interesting thing about him, he came in the league in 68, and the Dolphins were terrible. I mean, they were so brutal. They had been an expansion team, and he was a good player. And so when Don Shula got there, boom, here come four 1,000-yard years. And similar to Beast Mode and John Riggins, we mentioned Terrell Davis. I think Emmett Smith belongs in this uh, group as well. Big-time postseason players. This guy, Larry Zonka, had some incredible postseason runs. And that does – look, I'm not all about Super Bowl wins, but if you can average, you know, say 90 yards rushing a game against the best competition – and think about the teams that Larry Zonka was running. And not just Raiders, the Super Bowl, Steelers, but yes, yep. really good teams, great player. Um, and rounding it out there and, – and so Mike just missed to let you know who's on that. Otis Anderson slash O.J. Anderson. He starts as a St. Louis Cardinal. Mm-hmm. 
that's another thing you may not know, that the Arizona Cardinals used to be in St. Louis. O.J. Anderson was a phenom in his rookie year yep. in a really tough NFC East. They were a competitive bunch there. He reemerges as Otis Anderson and wins a Super Bowl in the late stages of his career with the Giants. Frank Gore, a sublime career overcoming injuries, knee injuries at Miami to become one of the most durable runners on the pro level. And now I think set up to have a, a really nice season. I may just be one year in Indianapolis, right. but I suspect he's going to have a really big year there. Corey Dillon, who broke the single game rushing record. I almost put Jamal Char- uh, Jamal Lewis in here, who then went on to break Corey Dillon's mm-hmm. um, record. But for longevity and for, for being a really nice banger as the season would wear on, Corey Dillon makes it. Priest Holmes is there. And then Freeman McNeil. You talk about uh, Bear, a poor man's Barry Sanders. That was Freeman McNeil with the New York Jets. All kinds of wiggle. Had probably I could probably keep up with him in a straight-ahead foot race, but he was all about the shiftiness back there. Yeah. He, very much like Gio Bernard is another yes, guy who, who yeah. summons, right? Yeah, and Freeman McNeil was the guy that always had nagging injuries. Like, he, he was never fully healthy. I wonder what he could have done. He led the NFL in rushing in the strike year, 82, you mentioned that Roger Craig was the one guy earlier that you thought people might argue with. I think Frank Gore is the per, the one player on this list that I think you might get a little bit of feedback on that he should be in the top 25. I had a Matt Forte. Yeah, I, I'm, I like Matt Forte a lot, a lot. And if you project Matt Forte's uh, career, I think it'll probably be bigger than Frank Gore when you include catches. But, but Frank Gore, yeah, I, mean, I could see people arguing. And the last thing is, boy, Corey Dillon has slept on quite a bit. I mean, that year he had with the Patriots in 04 when they won the Super Bowl, I mean, he had a huge, huge year. Um, It's a good list. So there you have it, the top 25 plus a few other names, and I'll throw these in here. Um, The Gale Sayard trio, as I call them. The guy who maybe would have gone down as the best ever. I mean, first of all, he's spending time playing for the Kansas City Royals, so it's hard to get too much momentum behind that he would have been the all-time leading rusher, but he might have gone down as as the best when he was on the field. Bo Jackson, right? I mean, yeah. with the right it was it's I was I was lucid and uh and you know, vested in pro <laughs> football at the lucid. time when Bo was playing, but it still feels like it went by in two seconds. It I, 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 It's really, I mean, but the game in the kingdom when he runs around the entire um, Seattle defense and then runs over the Boz on another touchdown in the same game, there's so many great, I mean, just no one else could do that kind of moments in the very brief time he was out there in the black and silver. Yeah, you know, with Bo Jackson, it's, it's a tough one for me because he certainly passed the eyeball test. He's power back. He had, you know, he's a very decisive kind of one-cut guy, great speed. The only he's thing, a brute. Well, that I mean, he could do it all. But the only thing about Bo Jackson that I wonder about is because he didn't play 16 games, we'll never know, which also means that we'll never know if he would have been able to hold up because that's part of football. How are you in the fourth quarter, and how are you in December? That's why, in my opinion, Marshawn Lynch is 14th on your list, right? It's for what he does at the end of the year when he's on carry number 250 of the season and it's the fourth quarter and he could still do it. Could Bo Jackson do the same thing? We won't ever know. What did we- Fair enough. That's yeah. why I don't even attempt to rank him among these other names. Billy Sims, his first four years. He did prove he could do it. Man, oh, man, he was the greatest. He just didn't play long enough. He yep. was born in the wrong era. Had he been born maybe 10, 15 years later, they would have fixed his knee up and he would have come back. 
as it was, that was basically the end of his career. He was on pace for an all-time year, and as you'll note, he did wear number 20 mm-hmm. in the, uh, what do they call that, Honolulu blue, before uh, Barry Sanders put it on. You now know B- Billy Sims, if you watch the Heisman Award every year, he's the guy who whoops it uh, when the, when they introduce all the uh, the past winners there. But he and Charles White back in the day went neck and neck in the Heisman race, and he was off to a glorious start. You talk about who got out of the gate the best in the in the pros, Billy Sims was right there. Do you remember how he would go into the end zone? No. He would fly in. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That was, that was a cool move. And then Terrell Davis, another, you know, rugged guy who I like the way you put this, that Terrell Davis belongs in the Hall of Fame. Certainly he does in my book because he is the be- he was the best running back in an era filled with all time great running backs. Right. Right. And and I, you know, who were the Emmett, Barry Sanders, yeah, Marshall Falk. They're all in the league. Ricky Waters. That is going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he was in the league. And for a Curtis few Martin. years, Terrell Davis was the best of them. That's right. That's right. His first four years are incredible. And, again, uh, Jim Trotter was the one that I first heard mentioned at the 143 yards per game or 142 point something in the postseason. I went and looked it up, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, that's – and we're not talking about two games here. I mean, the Broncos were in the postseason in 96, 97, and 98, made Super Bowl runs. Uh, back to Billy Sims for just a second. Would you go as far to say that he could have been as good as uh, Barry Sanders? Certainly. Yes. I absolutely believe that. I think he ranks with the – I think he is he is comfortably in the top ten. I think he is in the top five, if not for that ruinous knee injury. Yeah, I mean, he was – he of all the guys I've ever watched, he – I really like watching Shady McCoy, but I think Billy Sims is my favorite guy to, just to look at and, you know, to, to sing songs about and write poems about. Billy Sims is uh, is second to none. Um, let's look real quick, though, just to blow through these guys. The USFL quintet, guys in the early 80s diverted their – they could have gone to the NFL. Instead, they went after the – you know, and you can't fault them because it was the same thing as going to the AFL back in the 60s. The USFL, I say it all the time, I'm going to say it again now, was not jive. This was no XFL kind of experiment. There was some good ball being played. It just so happened to be happening in the springtime yeah. and in, in some – sometimes odd uniforms, but, um, but nonetheless, Kelvin Bryant out of UNC could have been talk about a guy who could catch as well as run the yep. football. Joe Cribs had some great years with the Buffalo bills. Then he went to the Birmingham stallions and never got all the way back when he returned to the NFL, but Buffalo fans certainly know him. Mike Rogier left Nebraska with a Heisman trophy goes and plays for the Pittsburgh Maulers. And by the time he gets to the NFL and toils there has, it does have a couple of nice years, but really could have, if he could alter course and gone the NFL route, I wonder what would have happened with him. He could have been dynamite. Marcus Dupree. If you saw the 30 for 30, I've never seen, I would say Herschel Walker is the greatest college runner I've ever seen. Tony Dorsett's in that conversation. Todd Gurley, at his best, is also in is, is somewhere in that mix as well. But there was nothing like Marcus Dupree. Herschel Walker was number one by far and away until Marcus Dupree touched the field and was the biggest guy on the field and was the fastest guy on the field mm-hmm. and had the biggest bum on in the world, not just on the field, but in the world, had that big bubble bum, and he would just run past and through everybody week after week. And then injuries and nonsense and USFL. and the, But when I talk about weird uniforms, that's what I'm talking the about. The Breakers? The Boston Breakers. They were the Boston Breakers. Then they were the New Orleans Breakers. Then they were the Portland Breakers, which is interesting because all three locations, unlike 
The L.A. Lakers, there are no lakes in L.A. The Breakers is a reference to the bodies of water. Well, they're by water in all three of those towns, which was a neat little trick that was <laughs> that just was serendipity. Either way, Marcus Dupree could have been great. Yeah, he, he really could have. And, and uh, you know, the number one guy on your USFL quintet. That's it. I mean, Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker, if you add up his USFL yards, his NFL yards, I'm talking about kick returns because Herschel Walker, very effective kick returner. Look at that. You got him in the USFL uniform. I love it. Extra points for the generals. Get up. Get this. Over 25,000 yards combined between the USFL and NFL. Nobody can match that. When people say who's the best, uh, I I feel like that conversation just came up with, uh, with Jameis Winston and before that, uh, Tim Tebow, where does he rank among all-time college football players? For offensive guys, for skill position guys, Herschel Walker is the best college football player I've ever seen. And he was shifty, and he could run over you, and he was fast. By the time he comes through the USFL, and they're playing 18-game schedule, uh, 18-game schedule, and it's hot out in the spring, hotter than it is for most of the NFL season. And he got a million touches in those years in New Orleans. By the time he got to the NFL, he was not his best version, and yet still was dynamite. People forget that he was really good with the Cowboys. Led the year, led the league in rushing one That's year. Right. What do you have? 1,500 yards, 1,600 yards? yards. Yep. His rookie year, he caught seventy six balls. Then they the trade him up to, and then they trade him up to Minnesota, and of course that shifts things in in the favor of the Cowboys. And so that he sort of has a stink on him for that. But really, I mean, a, another guy who could have gone down as one of the top ten running backs in the history of of football. But somehow things got a little sideways, and he, yep. and, and by the way, he got a little thick, and he could only run straight ahead. It well, seemed like about halfway through his career, all of a sudden he, he had no wiggle. He was he was willowy at Georgia, and then he got to be a real thick kind of guy. Yeah, that's true. You know, when he got to the Eagles, he ran for a thousand yards in '92, his first year with the Eagles after the the failed Minnesota experiment. And I remember people saying at the time, because uh, we paid very close attention to him in Dallas, that he couldn't really move laterally anymore. I was like, you realize this is his 10th pro season. You know, you kind of always thought as Herschel Walker as this having all this potential because he had gone to the USFL. But by 1992, he's, he's a ten, how many 10-year running backs have still got the wiggle that they had when they were, you know, his best years were in the USFL, his best carries of his life. Well, when I say wiggle, by the way, and so thus ends our our review of the top 25 running backs, plus a few more names thrown in there. Um, Elliot Harrison, you're the perfect person to do this with. The one, is there any other name that I failed to mention here? The one that I did consider among current guys, Mm -hmm. Shady McCoy. Shady McCoy. Because when you mention wiggle, it makes me think of him. But I mean, is there anyone else that I was unfair to. You're more than welcome to jump in uh, back there behind the glass too, fellas. Sean Alexander? I I thought of Sean Alexander. He just, yeah. eh, you know. I mean, he had some really good years in Seattle. He did, but isn't he Curtis Martin-y the, without the numbers? Without without numbers I, I re- also realized you had, what was your cutoff, six years yeah. of, of really good production? No, six years total. Total, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, okay. If, if, if that's why William Andrews is on the formal 25 right. list because he made it to seven even though – he didn't properly play all that. But anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll throw out a few names. Go ahead. Just guys that I thought of that are. I'll but just, they would have to go ahead of what I have on Right, the list. and I'm not saying they would. I'm just different categories. Underappreciated, I'd go Rodney Hampton of the Giants and Gerald Riggs. How about Joe Morris of Joe, the Giants? Joe Morris of the Giants. If we want to talk like complete back, like a guy that, again, that if he played right now. Brad Muster. <laughs> yeah, Brad Muster. Yeah. Chuck Foreman. And Chuck Foreman, first five years. I thought about league, Chuck Foreman, yeah. Great around the end zone, great moves. 
Uh, Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings. Those first few Super Bowl trips that they made. Caught a ton of passes. Chuck Foreman would be a tough one to leave off. We didn't, you know, you mentioned Roger Craig. The reason, one of the reasons Roger Craig didn't get off to a fast start was because Wendell Tyler was there. Wendell Tyler had a really nice uh, NFL career. Those are a couple of guys. You know who I had? You know, I had a 25, and somehow as I started to get more and more into it, he eventually got pushed out of even. Michael Turner. No, the the next five. Okay. Lawrence McCutcheon of the L.A. Rams. Yeah, there you go. That's a, that's another one. That's a guy, I'm telling you, I know the guys behind the glass have never heard of Lawrence McCutcheon, but he was the feature back for the L.A. Rams back in the 70s, and the Rams were perennially good. And McCutcheon is I, – I, this is legitimately true, this hypothesis that I'm going to throw out. I, I, I firmly believe that people don't know who he is because he played always in the late game because he's in the West Coast – so no one on the East Coast, this is before the days of seeing highlights of every game, mm-hmm. You so you wouldn't know. And the late game was always the Dallas Cowboys. So unless it was the, they were playing the Rams, you never saw Lawrence McCutcheon not on the East Coast. I never saw the Rams games. No, I, I agree. And uh, I I like it when you say, you know, I always have to tell people this. I want to know what people, because I, I want to know if someone ever stops you at 7-Eleven and says, damn it, Lawrence McCutcheon, you never mentioned him on your podcast. <laughs> damn it. Right? No? You're right Scott about Mitchell. John. One, one, one name I was shocked you didn't put on here. Le'Veon Bell. Oh, shut up. That's a real <laughs> Guess what? He keeps this up, though. I can, actually, I have we a name for you. do this in three you. years. We do this in three, four years from now. I, I might a, be on there. I have an interesting thing. So you mentioned Jamal Lewis. Okay. You've got Eric Dickerson here. You have Barry Sanders. You have O.J. Simpson. You've got Adrian Peterson. You know what all these guys have in common? Terrell Davis, all these guys, 2,000-yard rushers. There's only one guy. not Jamal Lewis. Have, no, you mentioned Jamal oh, Lewis. Oh, I did. Okay. There's one guy that ran for 2,000 yards that we haven't mentioned. I, I, he's not employed right now. Come on, anyone? Oh, CJ2K. CJ2K. I know. What I looked you, at his name and forgot he had, he had two good years. What, I can't put him on this list. I just yeah, wondered. six-year rule. He doesn't, he doesn't count for a six-year rule. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. What you is he were is it would he be ahead of any of the names we've discussed? There's no way. Yeah, I, I don't think I could do it. I, I don't. I don't think I could put anyone. Um, yeah, I don't think I could do it. People, I will say this: that at least where I'm from, my neck of the woods, people do wonder what Dwayne Thomas would have been if he had played longer. Calvin Hill, another good name. It's easy, I think, to forget the '70s guys. Terry Metcalf is another guy. Um, it's easy to forget those guys. Well, if we're playing uh, local favorites, Barry Foster is a guy. Oh, yeah. Number 29 had some really good years um, in Pittsburgh and just didn't like playing football. I mean, I, that, why are you, I just don't enjoy it. That's it's my not fun. It's not, I, I, I find it uh, laborious. <laughs> like, all right, well, then, then, then I guess you shouldn't be playing if you're not into it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he had I, he had a 1,600-yard 1600 uh, yard season. Um, Favorite NFL commercial? Hands down of all time, 1995, Barry Foster wearing a Panthers jersey. Because remember, he went to the Panthers, oh, yeah. and he goes, every time, I, every time I run the football, I'm going to become the team's all-time leading rusher. Two weeks later, Dom Capers cuts. <laughs> he goes. No Timmy yeah. Smith, speaking of uh, <laughs> no Timmy one, Smith. Hit, one hit wonders. Um, and uh, I'm also just trying to peruse real quick. I can't do this. Wilbur Montgomery. That's a good one. Uh-huh. I can't uh, I can't do this off the top of my head. I don't, I'll have to do this after the fact. But wonder out of my top 25 here that I've listed here what the most uh, most recurring number is, jersey number. Probably 32. I'm just guessing that. 
32 hmm. seems like the best running back number. Yeah, geez, I didn't even think about that. It 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 does, but I'll say Dickerson that. goes 29, Falk goes 28. Some weird numbers. Juice goes 32, Dorsett goes 33. Franco and Marcus Allen both 32. And uh yeah, but you're done there. Wait, Edge James was 32, I believe, wasn't he? Edge James was 32. Yeah. Um, all right, we can figure that out at a later date. Hey, real quick. Before, before we wrap, yes. I got one for you. Yep. 18th anniversary of the Michael Jordan flu game. Who do you have tonight in the, the finals? Well, we're coming at you on uh, Thursday afternoon in front of game four. Well, right. I'm glad you asked me that because that was what I was just going to get to. I don't know, but I'll tell you who's going to win tonight. I don't know. But I'll say this. Even if the Cavs don't win another game, LeBron has etched his name for all of time in the top two. And I think you have to – make a line between when you talk NBA greats, you can't talk about centers and try and figure out like, well, where did the set, how does Hakeem measure up against Michael Jordan? Like, well, that's, you're talking about two very, everybody's different. seen that infographic where it's like the stats are just, yeah, you can't do that. So you do, you do water. centers and non-centers. So if you do that, it's Jordan and LeBron and everybody else. Now I, I, I really believe that Fred and magic Johnson and Larry bird. I think, because you pair them together in your brain, everybody who watched them, you don't separate those two. In a way, you you don't give either one the credit that they deserve. Then again, they both are surrounded by Hall of Famers. Magic Johnson has all those triple-doubles, and that's the number that LeBron chases. When you say, LeBron has another triple-double, wow, this is remarkable what he's doing. Whose record is he chasing? It's Magic Johnson's. But Magic Johnson's also feeding the ball to Kareem, the scoring machine, and James Worthy, and the rest, where, where Bird's out there with Dennis Johnson and Kevin McHale and the Chiefs. And so, got Delhi. Yeah, yeah, so their numbers – and LeBron. th- what LeBron's doing, it, there, is, there is no comparison. Tell me I, – I have tweeted this a couple of times and have not gotten a satisfactory response yet because I don't think there is one. Whatever else you want to say, it's not their fault that they never were out there with bad teams, but – what is the worst foursome that Michael Jordan, Bird, or Magic ever touched an NBA Finals floor with? There was never anything close to this bad. And I don't think Tristan – I think if you listened last year, I sang songs about Tristan Thompson. I said, well, it's not just Kyrie, who I also told everybody, he's a young guy. He's going to turn the corner as a, as a primetime scorer, so he did. I said, Tristan Thompson's a banger up front. Those are nice pieces. They make the Cavaliers better than the previous incarnation that LeBron played with before he went to Miami. So I've been right on that. That being said, this this foursome that he's winning games with against the 67 win Golden the Golden State Warriors are not some team that they're knocking down that snuck into the fight. They won 67 games in the mighty Western Conference. And it's not like LeBron's getting any help from the referees either. You know, it a lot of, is he is getting smashed crazy. down by the refs. He didn't get any calls the last couple of games. Oh, dude, the worst I've ever seen was all the calls Dwayne Wade got against the Mavericks. Yeah, that was. Right. That was, they were, I mean, people were showing him online where he literally didn't get touched. I, I am disappointed that he didn't mention Rolando Blackman in those great. <laughs> you know, that's what about this, though, uh, EH? Let's connect it to pro football. What is, what's the what's the best example that you can think of of a bum team being carried to a Super Bowl. They maybe the, not the win cuz I have a couple in in mind that they didn't get over the hump but they got to a Super Bowl with a collection of nothing aside from one guy. Holy cow. That's a, I'll tell you that cuz I'm putting you on the spot. My are. answer is the Tom Brady Patriots that played the Giants the second time, not the almost undefeated yeah. one. That roster was cuz 
especially once Gronkowski is injured and is a non-factor. Even if he's on the field, he's not 100%. There was nothing out there with Tom Brady, and they just about won the Super Bowl. Wes Welker catches a pass. They win the Super Bowl uh, four years ago instead of having to wait till now. No, that that's a that's a boy. That's a great question. I I could throw out a couple here, just a couple ideas. One, I would think the eighty one forty niners. I mean, the eighty one forty niners, man. You, yes, some of those players ended up becoming great, like Ronnie Lott. Okay, but Ronnie Lott was a rookie. You know, I mean, Joe Montana really had a lot to do with that. Their running His back pass catchers were Dwight Clark and Freddie Solomon, both fine. And by the way, when you have these conversations, please vapid cynics. You don't need to drop me a line to tell me that a guy is bad. He's not, he's not a junior high player. You know, Fred Dean was pretty good. Yeah, I know they had good players. I'm saying what is the worst roster to say? Yeah, they, the, the Cavaliers aren't playing with uh, some, some women's college basketball rejects. I understand these are NBA players who make some amount of the shots that right. they take. I'm just comparing them to other teams that get to that point, and that right. is a good one. You know what's another one? I asked Chris Wessling, our pal from around the NFL. He, uh, he floated the, um, the Dolphins with uh, Dan Marino the Super Bowl they lost to the Niners. That's a pretty interesting one. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, Bunch of no-names on defense. Sure. Well, you were making the, the, the comment about Tristan Thompson. What if Tristan Thompson ends up becoming a great player? He's not that right now. He's never going to be a scorer, so right, it's going to be not, hard for him to – Right, but who were Ronnie Lott, Dwight Clark, and Freddie Solomon before the 81 team? Who were they? Well, Ronnie Lott was in college, you know, so – Sometimes there's revisionist history. Yes, we think of these guys as really great players now, but in 1981, that you, yeah. team was a, not there yet. You know, that's a good call. That'd be actually. my best. That'd be my best guess. Yeah, I bet you come to think of it, because we, you and I have gone back and forth about this. The you know Marino, who had the worst collection of skill position guys. You know, when you start talking about best quarterbacks ever, and I imagine we will probably get to that list at some point too. The best quarterbacks of the Super Bowl era. In fact, we'll probably do it next week or in two weeks. So get ready, uh, guys, cutting the video back there. But, um, you know, Marino and Elway, among the the guys who you would consider in the top five or six or seven, um, I had just absolute nothing. You know, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper were good. Would you? I mean, Mark Clayton was a little bit better than Mark Duper. Neither guy's in the Hall of Fame. For all, for all the touchdowns that they caught when Marino was slinging it, neither one is in the Hall of Fame. And who was the running back behind uh, behind That's Tony Nathan? Tony yeah. Nathan was a nice player, but and then Elway played with Sammy Winder and Steve Watson and Mark Jackson and yep. Yuck. Yeah, I mean that, that, Clarence they, K. Yeah, tied in. Yeah, you know. But uh, one thing I always say about Elway and Marino, Orson Mobley, Orson Mobley. Yeah, it was great that Elway won those Super Bowls at the end. But unfortunately, and this is the one thing that I hate about our business, is that we predicate every player's rating on whether or not they won a Super Bowl. When you and I did the top ten it matters for quarterbacks. quarterbacks. Well, it when, we did, when we did that, I mean, gosh, I got so much Joe Flacco stuff on Twitter. I'm like, what about all the other years when he's not consistent, you know? And uh, I just think sometimes that, that that gets a little bit overblown. You know, it, it's not – It is an ageless – argument that you and I will continue to have I'm sure for all of ages or at least until we go six feet under which I'm getting closer and closer to doing but wait a minute but wait a minute hold on as I'm reminded today hang on but I I just I kind of I pulled a damage I lost my point unfortunately Elway winning those last two Super Bowls with a complete team and a great running back 
ended up making him, uh, putting him elevated over Marino in people's eyes. If you watch those two quarterbacks play in their prime, would you have taken John Elway over Dan Marino? No, but that's no. A, that's right. Those two Super Bowls make it different. And the other guy who I've lately been knocking quite a bit because my eyes have been opened as I look up his numbers, Bob Greasy. Talk about a guy who, who happens to be in the right place. He's yeah. fine. He didn't throw a ton of interceptions. He threw four passes in one Super Bowl. That's right. He I, completed two of them. I, I will say. <laughs> that guy's in the Hall of Fame. Well, he has two rings. you got to put him in the Hall of Fame. Wait, 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 I could have done that, too. I could have just taken the snaps and handed it off the whole game myself. I, I agree that Greasy never had to carry the team on his back. Flacco did carry the Ravens in that's that right. 2012 postseason. Um, all right. So that's uh, so that's that. We'll wrap it up there. But to finish my point, the reason the rings matter they will continue to matter so long as they decide not to shut the season down after December. They they go through the whole trouble of having those playoff games and setting a big Super Bowl and having a big week for and to give somebody a Lombardi for a reason, right? Yeah. So then it matters. Okay. Well, it I, matters then. So, I mean, the, I the idea when people use that argument that, well, why are the rings? Why, why are the rings what matter? Well, it's the point of the game. I know you love Dan Fouts. Well, all right, that's fine. That's I all do. I'm saying. I think he. Has, I think he's another guy who was in a good situation too. All right, you're wrapping me up already with the Yub Nub song. Hey, I'm on the Adam Carolla show. You can dig that one up um, from earlier this there week. There is another. Um, thanks to everybody for the uh, for the kind messages for the birthday. I'm blowing right past it. It's my birthday. Look, how about that? I went right through the stop sign. I. I. I you know what? I can listen to the Yub Nub song again. I deserve it on my birthday. And that is why you fail. <laughs> <laughs> do do or do not there is no try all right again thanks to everybody for the kind messages thanks to the guys behind the glass thanks to elliot harrison and handsome hank we'll talk to you next week in the meantime thanks so much football fans it's been a thin slice of heaven you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.